moving from a place of stability and happiness and connectedness, like you're actually choosing to move forward from those things instead of changing from trauma or pain or drama, trying to be comfortable changing when nothing seemingly is wrong. It's really hard to do, but I think the more that you do that and the more that you can kind of step into those scary spaces, the growth that you can find in, in doing that is, is pretty massive. to Let It Out with me, Katie Dilbout. Last few episodes of the year, and we're going out with a bang. My really dear friends, Aaron Lovell-Verinder and Noah Chekel are back on the podcast. They've been on before, which we mentioned a little bit in this episode, but Aaron is an herbalist and a nutritionist, an energetic healer, and a writer, an author. Her newest book just came out, The Plant Clinic, and you might know her from her previous book, Plants for the People, which we spoke about. She's actually been on three times. Erin and I had a conversation, just her and I, when I was in Australia, staying with them. She's trained in America and Australia and has spent more than 18 years working with plants and natural medicine, and she's truly wonderful. And through her, I met her husband, Noah a fellow plant enthusiast and animal enthusiast, someone who I think has a connection with earth and beings, including animals, more so than anyone that I know. They have two dogs who I really, really love. And Noah, like me, is from Michigan and one of my favorite people in the world. And he is a prolific designer and strategist and most recently designed the new book, Aaron Wrote, The Plant clinic, which we get into a little bit in this episode. He's also a baker and a reader and a gardener. And like I said, one of my dearest friends in this second appearance of theirs on the podcast, we catch up. It's casual. We talk about beauty, finding and prioritizing beauty, care, thoughtfulness, the process of creativity, including writing and creating this book and their creative collaboration. Lessons on friendship. Noah gives some of the best advice I've ever gotten on friendship, and and so does Aaron. We talk about change. They're in the midst of a big change. They recently moved out of the place that they were living. We talk about advocating for yourself creatively, trusting creative instincts, finding community, and much more. We play a really fun game at the end. We talk about fruit. It's a really fun episode and I'm excited for you to hear it. So let's get into it as soon as possible. Thank you for being here and for supporting the sponsors. It means so much. And if you want to learn more about me and my work, stick around until the end. I'll tell you a bit more. And again, so happy you're here. I'm so happy to to be with you live. We were just saying we were looking at each other and saying it was nice to, to see all of us together because we talk all the time. We have a very long voice text exchange, which I think we probably talked about 
when you both were last on the podcast and I think that was maybe May of 2020. Yeah. Something so. like that. A long time ago. Feels like yeah, a long time ago. It does. Yeah. And I think we were saying something like, wow, we've been, you know, we've been doing this voice text exchange for so long and we're such close friends and it's really cool. And then <laughs> little did we know what would transpire after that, which is honestly more of the same and just deepening and connecting more through talking and sharing vulnerably with each other over a long period of time, even though we haven't gotten to see each other. It's really cool that I feel so close to you too. Oh, same, honey. You're so, you know, honestly, we always look forward to getting your messages and it's been a delight, like interacting in that way and just feeling such a part of your life, even though we're so far away, has actually been really lovely. I yeah, know. And also just processing everything that's been happening for us in that way. It's like a little bit of a like virtual diary that someone else is listening to. So it's actually quite nice to process in that way with someone as well. Yeah, I've been reflecting on it a lot because I think Aaron, you and I, so for people who are are new maybe to listening to this podcast or maybe don't know Aaron and Noah. So they're obviously my very close friends. And we were together in person last when I visited them in Australia in the beautiful church that they used to live in until very recently. And at that time, Aaron, your very first book, Plants for the People, had just come out. And we were newer friends. (laughs) And yet here I am in Australia across the world, staying with you for a long period of time and what we call quarantine one, which was there was right after the wildfires in Australia, there was a really big flood, like a huge flooding in the region that you lived in and that I was. And so we really didn't leave the church much over those days. And we bonded and connected and had just such a beautiful time together. And then kept bonding. I stayed in Australia for a while after that. And then we had many conversations that were like, I I always think of you, Noah, when I was talking about, I was planning to continue traveling for, for a while that year, but deciding whether I should go back to the States as we were all warming up to the pandemic. This is like end of February, early March of, of 2020. And I ended up staying a little bit longer in Australia to go to your first book launch event in Sydney. And then, Noah, I I still have like your voice in my head being like, I feel... And you say this, you're like, I don't know what it is, but I feel like you should probably get back to the States. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a pretty cautious character. I think... I just, I don't know. I just had a feeling that there was going to be an issue. And And so it has been (laughs) an issue of (laughs) the pandemic. But also like, I just felt like you were like my sister or something. Like I worried about you. Like I would worry about my sister. You know what I mean? Uh Like, And I was like, um, maybe it's just safer. So yeah, I'm glad you heeded my advice. If it turns out you were right, there was an issue. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. But I was going to say like about Noah's like gentle, cautious nature of like, if there's a fence to jump, like I'll jump the fence and I'll like walk the long way to get to the gate. Yeah. I'll just take my time. (laughs) Yeah. I don't need to do anything too risky. That's Yeah. Um, Yeah. I love adventure, but I am not the biggest risk taker. So anyway, it worked out in this way. Nice Mm -hmm. situation for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm very much between you two. I think I have a lot of the tendencies of both of you and, 
Yeah. You're just two of my favorite people to talk with and spend time with. And I'm, you know, and we talk about things that we talk about on this show and our, you know, personal podcast, we send each other across the globe and it's creativity and connection and friendship and nature and food. And sometimes it's very light. Like we'll get into these conversations about cinnamon or melon or fruit or, (laughs) you know, what we're watching or learning. We had like a big stretch. They're um, unpacking the rise of Crocs. <laughs> yes. Remember that? <laughs> yes. Um, and turns out they have board. risen. They yes. have risen. <laughs> we definitely foresaw, foresaw, foresaw the, yeah. Yeah, the, um, the future of, of Crocs rising. <laughs> uh-huh. so also, um, I also predicted the reemergence of Birkenstocks and Tevas quite a few years before it happened. So, <laughs> no, for the record, yeah. He's a seer, guys. <laughs> a futurist. A futurist. Yeah. Uh, I think, too, we... Yeah, I just... There, it's funny. So our exchange is on um, the app WhatsApp. <laughs> and we... when it, I, I don't know if it does this for you. I'm sure it... Maybe it's a setting I have on mine. But we send photos and videos. And like we do this thing we call a view. And just like send like what's in front of us. And to, to visualize a lot of things we're talking about. And those images just show up in my camera feed. Does that happen on your phones too? Yes. Yeah. No, not mine. I've turned that setting off. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it's like a user. That sounds like a setting that should be turned off. But anyway, they just show up in my phone because I, I do not know how to deal with that setting. That I'll look into after this call. But there is just a photo of Justin Bieber in Crocs in my camera roll that I had no idea how it got there. And then I figured out it was, it smelled of you too and smelled of our, our... Or did you like think that you actually took it? I, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought I was the um, photographer of that shot. Oh man. Well... This has been lovely warming up the mics, but let's get into you two. And so, okay, so your first book had just just come out when I was with you. And we actually celebrated you getting the book deal for the second book, which I'm holding up in front of me, The Plant Clinic, which is so beautiful. And we knew that when you got this book deal, that it was going to be a collaboration between you and Noah. And your friend, Georgia, who took the beautiful photos on both books, our friend. But it was really cool to know that. And I was so excited for you both. And it was all, you know, just had gone through and we went out to dinner to celebrate. So I'm just curious, take me back to that moment of how you felt when you had this idea and talk a little bit about the idea and then how it evolved and a little bit about the process of working with each other on it. Yeah, babe, there's so much to it. I think the books both sort of sat within me for many, many years and were sort of brewing deeply, you know, and to come to fruition was really major and pretty profound because it sort of really, for me, has been many, many years of my personal practice with people as a clinician as well, a herbalist and working in those kind of healing spaces. And so the book was the opportunity for me to bridge all of that together and like create this really accessible body of work for people to work with plants to heal their bodies and feel well guided. So that was like really thrilling to see it come to life and, and have that. I remember, I remember that moment, like being in the kitchen with you guys and, you know, getting the green light 
to that book and that project with my publisher and just being like, oh my God, so exciting. And I think, you know, it almost felt a bit like when I did the first one, it was like, whoa, I really did this. Like I'm an author. I wrote a book. What a trip. And then it was kind of like, and I'm doing it again. And that felt to me like really exciting that it sort of solidified, even though I'd done the first book, the second book kind of gave way to solidify my stepping into the role truly as a writer and an author as well. So yeah, such an exciting time. And then working with Noah, that opened up a whole nother kind of portal for our creative collaboration and relationship. Yeah, it was really, really, really cool getting getting the green light for that and creating it. When you got the content, Noah, and started designing, did you have this vision for the book from the beginning? Because I remember, Aaron, that day when you were telling me about the idea for this book and, and Plants for the People was so fresh and in front of us, and you hadn't even fully launched that project yet. And I was so enamored with it, but you were saying that this one, the plant clinic would be sort of opposite to that one in the sense of that one had the herbs really forward and then the uses of them in each part. And then this one is like, you can go to detoxification or immunity or hair or skin or yeah, mums and bubs and is so cute. Yeah. Like all of the hormones, whatever. And you can keep it at the way you describe it is like, I don't know. I envision this is like your first aid kit and you keep it on top of the fridge. And I had a real full circle moment when I put my copy of the book on, on top of the fridge and I've gone <laughs> into it and I had like a skin thing and I literally like used your book as if I would use the internet. And it's just this really beautiful offering that's organized in this way that just feels very Noah. Like It feels like if Noah was going to organize something, this is how it would be. So it's a very long-winded way of saying, you know, what was the process like for you, Noah? I think it the book is able to be what it is because you know Erin so well and we're able to know her vision. But what did it... It must have been... You know, I can imagine it being quite overwhelming and a lot of pressure to go into, you know, okay, here are the words. Now I have to visualize this in a way that makes sense. What did that beginning feel like? I'll just start by saying that Aaron and I are constantly processing together all the time. So it's the book itself throughout the process of her writing it was we were very collaborative in my role kind of helping her organize the content from when she was writing it. So that was really helpful. So when I when I actually got the, the edited um, copy, I kind of already had an idea in my head of what the book, how the book was going to be laid out, but we just work really closely together through the whole thing. So I think, yeah, when I got, when I got it, I wasn't super overwhelmed because we had done a lot of prep to get it to that place. But I've always like thought of design as kind of solving a puzzle. Like my little Virgo brain loves to organize. So even design and aesthetically and colors, and there's little tabs in the book and the usability and the user friendliness of the book was always kind of the most exciting part for me about the book. And then, of course, Georgia taking the beautiful photos obviously just creates, enhances it so much. So I just think I had an amazing content to work with. But because I had already done a lot of processing with Aaron about the book, it was daunting in the way that it was so much information because Aaron is a encyclopedia of information. So we actually had to kind of it was actually like two books yeah, in one. The publisher was like, you've written two books. And so we um, had to reduce it down to the most important content for the book we were trying to make, which I think is, you know, trying to make something succinct 
not that this is a succinct book, but is I think the biggest challenge. The whole process together was very intense in that we were constantly working on it at all times. So even when I was designing, Aaron was there helping me make decisions. So it was a hundred percent a really intensely um, collaborative, creative process through the whole thing. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I mean, as you mentioned, Noah is a, a Virgo in the best way with this sort of task. You know, I, I we we joke and mention this time when I was there and I was discussing my work and organizing like where I want to focus. And I was really, really in a, a transition and a Saturn return period. And we we always like lovingly refer to it as standing in my little woman nightgown, which is this nightgown of errands that I wore <laughs> while I was there. And and you were helping me kind of hash out where to focus when and you bust out almost as if it was like kept in the kitchen, unclear, but you like we're standing at the kitchen island and suddenly you have a sketchbook and had just like, you know, gotten together a layout of like kind of what very visually, you know, I can see that that's how your mind works. And I think this book is definitely a reflection of that. And it's just so well laid out because I can see that it's very clear that there's so much in here because there's recipes in there as well as so much content and practical uses of... It's a very dense book. That's not something you know you read in one sitting. It's really meant to be referred to again and again. And having something that's this clinical and useful be so beautiful, I think is the rarity of of this and I, I think really speaks to the two of you. My favorite part of this design wise is the tabs. Like I just think it's really cool. And there's a ribbon. I mean, it's incredible. But before we talk a little bit more about the the process, just practically speaking, I'm curious, do do either of you have, you know, an herb or a remedy or like a, a pocket of the book that just either stands out to you as something that you has been useful to you personally or that you know the book has been out not very long here in the states but it's been out for a bit in Australia so I'm curious if people are having a reaction to or you know something that might be surprising yeah that's a really good question um I mean it's been really well received so far and here in Australia it's been out yeah for a few months and what comes from it a few things, but the, for me personally as well, though, I was really happy to write the emotions, mind, spirit section. Like I'm really proud of that section. I feel like not a lot of her books dive into those kind of realms and have clear directives for healing around anxiety and, and you know, depression or, you know, low vitality and thinking about it more from sort of an emotion, mind, spirit perspective. And, um, I really love that section and that has been something that's been really well received and people have been really interested in it. And also like the mums and bubs section too has been a big one that a lot of people have reflected back that it's so helpful because I think a lot of people are really confused about using herbs in pregnancy with small children and through lactation. So, you know, work, you know, supporting a mum through that as well and little people. So that's been something that's, yeah, seems to be shared a lot and, yeah, a lot of energy towards, which is really sweet. And But overall, like people, I think it just really love the usability of it. And that comes down to like the way I wrote it and made it all parts talk to itself. You know, there's all, they connect and that's kind of the 
the beautiful piece of the book of like how the recipes connect to the daily protocols and then the first aid kits and the rescue remedies and then how Noah designed it with being so user-friendly as well to find the information and reference and cross-reference. And yeah, so what about you, babe? I think the one of the most powerful things for me for the book is the you're actually getting a protocol. So often I think when you are go go looking for a remedy, you know, like I've had, you know, suffered from eczema in the past and you think, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just make this cream or I'll just use this cream. But the book really breaks down a protocol for that. So what you would do across a day. So it's, it's just giving you like a depth of knowledge and a depth of practice around some ailment that you might be suffering from. And then also kind of those pillars to thrive. So those six pillars to thrive and how those basic fundamentals become a foundation for healing and how, for example, with the eczema, you know, like making sure you're hydrated, make sure you're resting, make sure, you know, you're in nature and kind of, again, making it a bit more holistic in that sense where you're not just, you know, trying to remedy it in the same way you would something from the pharmacy. It's like you're actually diving deeper into why this may be going on for you and then how you can empower yourself to actually create a protocol around that. So yeah, I think the protocols is is a is a huge thing for me in the book and I think making them very clear and very digestible was a really important part I think for Aaron and I in this book. Yeah, I agree. It it's interesting, you know, I think there's so many online courses right now which are which are great. Um and that's that's cool, but what I feel about this book is that you, Aaron, as a clinician, you know, having your clinic days, you give people protocol. Like you have to do essentially this. And this is kind of, from my perspective, you taking, as Noah was explaining, everything you've seen in your clinic over a decade and organizing it in this way that's digestible, beautiful, and all sort of fits back together from the the recipe, you know, just for people who don't have the book in front of them. I have my ribbon on the depression um, mm. protocol. Actually, I was using something from that, but it gives you morning throughout the day, afternoon, evening, and everything from snacks to make in the afternoon, the maca bliss ball or like a soak in the evening or whatever. And it's just, it's really easy to use and jump around in, in this way that feels like what I was going to say, if you've made it an online course. But what I love about this is you're able to refer to it in a really beautiful way that, you know, I look at this as not only something I would keep on top of my fridge, but have on the coffee table because it's so beautiful and makes a, and your last book, I feel like that too, makes a really great conversation starter. Like I, I bring out the book often when, when people come over because I often have you know, an infusion on my counter and people are like, what is that? Are you making kombucha? And I'm like, no, it's uh, here's my friend's book. You know, it's kind of nice to have, use it as a conversation starter. And oh, this so book, sweet. <laughs> yeah, as clinical as it is, is actually mm. very beautiful. And I think it really speaks to the two of you. Thank you. And I think that's my goal and my work to sort of bridge those gaps of, you know, the kind of clinical spaces of naturopathic medicine and herbalism. and bridging the world of, of, of more of the energetics and the connection to nature and that sort of grassroots approach to herbalism with this kind of spacious modern beauty as well. 
that essentially is just letting the plants and nature sing the way that they're photographed throughout the book, but with, you know, my sort of, I don't know, my, my perspective as well and trying to bring that kind of clinical knowledge but soften it and deliver it to people in a way that can be digested for the times that we're in now. Aaron yeah. and I talk a lot about beauty. We talked a lot about beauty when we were designing the book and I always like, for example, I always plate my food a certain way. Um, I always make sure my food looks, even if I'm having like a sandwich or a salad or something or like a literally a piece of toast with peanut butter, like I try to make, I just inherently try to make it look beautiful to me, what looks like beauty to me. So I think with what we were trying to do with the book, it's like kind of your, like you're pointing out, like bridging this kind of clinical side of herbal medicine, but also like how beautiful it can be. Like even the, the image on the front cover, that's just um, a bunch of stuff we picked from our garden that we shoved in the, the glass and then poured vinegar on it. But the way that it looks in the light and the shape of the, the vessel that it's in and the colors of the flowers and the way they dull when you add the vinegar. And it's like that process of creating beauty with what then you're going to use to heal just seems like a a bit of a no-brainer for me. And I think we were just trying to weave that throughout the book. And Georgia, who who, sh- who shot the book, she, you know, she's a stylist at heart. She wants all those photos to look that way. So it, we took a lot of time and energy to do that. Um, and I think it really reflects in both books, but I think particularly in the way that we shot the second book, it just really kind of speaks to the kind of subtle beauty of herbal medicine and and how you can kind of weave that simply into your everyday. It's so well said. I want to go back to to what you're saying about plating your food because and just beauty in general. That's something that I I really admire about both of you and having spent time with you and even in our conversations I think comes up a lot because it's something that's very important to me and I realize how much space affects me and how what's around me and taking those moments, you know, because it's not just about plating your food. It's, it's really, it has a lot more to do with, I think, sure, it's visual and the part with your eyes. But I think a lot of that is also the mindfulness that comes with slowing down to do that and taking a moment to care. You know, I think there's a level of, of care that goes into that, that it's not so much about beauty or symmetry. It's more about mindfulness and care and slowing down and being around you two and being in your space and being in your home really inspired me in a way that has stuck with me of, cause I'm not that way, you know, I'll like mush something to get, like if, if someone else was here, I'm making a beautiful bowl and it's going to, you know, have all, it's going to be photographable, but for myself, it's just like tossed together. Not like I don't give myself that moment of mindfulness and it's something I'm trying to to work on and I think surrounding yourself with people and things that that do have that level of mindfulness it's you know aspirational in this way that I think is good yeah I totally hear you and I I think that that's something that you know we just inherently kind of do in our lives like I'm just, I'm also like a real, I don't know, but I have a real like aesthetic, I don't know, affinity for aesthetics in this way that it's just my own version of 
what I feel like is beautiful. You know, it's not that I'm, yeah. We Aaron did this Instagram um, kind of thing where we would make something like, it was just totally like we'd put it on the table and then take a photo of it, but it would be like a, a bagel sandwich or something. And her version of what a bagel, beautiful bagel sandwich looked like as an Aries versus my Virgo bagel yeah. sandwich, what I think looks beautiful. So there's, yeah, it's like this kind of just, you know, the way my desk looks and the way her desk looks, there's no like way to be beautiful. It's just kind of, yeah, taking the time to cultivate what that is for you. And I think, I mean, I've been with Erin for a very long time and it's always been the way she is. So for me, it just seems so natural that the books, that's such a huge part of the book. And that's why we were so stoked to go with the publisher that we did, the publishing house that we did, because they make really beautiful books and that's really important to them. So I think that Erin was able to really dive into that creative part of herself. After writing the books, it was like, you know, she's in there styling and shooting the books with Georgia. So I think having the support of the publisher to do that was really, really important and really in alignment for the books that she wanted to put out that we wanted to put out. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, one thing about doing the books that I've learned so much is that it's, you know, it really isn't just the writing process. It's like doing books like that, where there's such a visual element to all of them. It's like, the creative concept, you know, of the book almost begins before I started writing them and me conveying what I want from Noah to bring on board and what I want from Georgia to bring on board. And then, you know, every detail like that vinegar that Noah said, this on the front of the book, that was just me going around and picking flowers in my garden that was going, you know, off at the time. And there were so many flowers. And I was like, I didn't write a a recipe for this, but I feel like we should take this shot and I'll, and then I'll write a recipe. And that's how that, just cause it was so beautiful. I was struck by the beauty. Oh, no way. Yeah. It wasn't actually meant to be in the book. And I was like, you know, it's just so beautiful. Let's do it. And then I grabbed the, you know, vase and, and you know what I mean? Did it. And, and that's the kind of, I would make that recipe normally the spring vinegar, but I thought let's just capture it. And, um, and, and so I just mean, it's like th- what the book has demanded of m- the books have demanded of me. And like, enabled me to grow so greatly over these few years of writing books and creating books because I've been able to let let a lot of different parts of myself be nurtured and thrive. And a lot of that is about beauty of words and it's about the beauty of the images and the beauty of the design and sort of helming these, you know, sitting at the helm of these big projects and bringing all the pieces together. Yeah, it's been such an interesting experience because it. I think people think about doing books maybe – like they're pretty, it's one dimensional. You just sort of write the words and hand it over. But for me, from every detail I've been a part of, and I, and I feel like they are a deep reflection of me and to have people who I love so dearly to, I mean, Noah, my favorite person to be there, you know, creating by my side and George, who I adore with my publisher, who I love. Yeah. It's been, it's been pretty special, babe. And I, I, I feel people feel those through the books. I, I, people reflect these beautiful sentiments about the books back to me. And that, I think that's what they're feeling, you know, that all of that, all of that. We always say that Erin is the creative director of the books. So (laughs) we just bring her vision to life, you know, like, so I think, yeah, I've just watched the creative process for her be so much more than just the words, even though the words are also, I think, really beautiful and really evocative for a herbal medicine book. 
Aaron's a beautiful writer and I think it really comes out in the words, but even yeah, all the visuals, it's like, yeah, it's her vision that we, that we bring to life. Yeah. And I think it's, it's to me, of course it's visuals, but it's also care. You know, I think what, what we're talking about with visuals is what we're also saying is care. And that's what you can feel. Like you can feel this level of care and, and the way you're, you're both talking about it of like, this beautiful collaboration. I'll talk about my book. It takes a level of, of confidence and care and collaboration that, you know, when I wrote my book, I've talked to you two about this before, but I was quite young, didn't feel like I could speak up for myself or advocate for myself with my publisher at all. That, you know, a lot of things that I, part of it was a timing of, you know, when it was and feeling far from something, but part of it is like, oh man, I I wanted to change that, but I couldn't. And I think in the writing process and working, unless you're self-publishing, you know, it does take a lot of advocating and a lot of actually, I know we've said this, but we're going to do this because this feels correct. And this changed and trusting those creative instincts is a level of care for your project and for the the audience that will be consuming the project that both of you have. And that's no small thing. And I want to highlight that in the creative process. Mm. I really hear you. And, you know, you mentioned earlier on in the podcast too, like for me, you know, it was, it was not the easiest process. You know, I think the plant clinic was really tough to write and to continue to advocate for myself and my vision and what I was trying to say and for herbalism as well because bless my publishing house, they're awesome, but they're not herbalists. So really sort of saying, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. Please don't change my words. Um, No, you can't cut that bit out. That's really important. I say that it was hard and it was tiring sometimes. And you know, it feels, yeah, I totally hear you. And for you being young, writing your book, like a lot younger and being in this experience, like, and I know even my experience as a first time author, I felt very differently the second time around. I really I don't know, I just dug my heels in deeper because I think I felt, you know, confident from doing it the first time. There was more confidence there. And I'm sure if I were to do it again, I feel now I have another layer of confidence from the second experience leading to a third potentially. But it's tough, babe. Yeah. And it it's kind of like I think anything when you're creating and and then you hand over a creation to someone to dissect in some way, it's can be really painful, <laughs> you know, um, and and then it also isn't just yours anymore. It becomes someone else's and, and someone else's perspective or how they might try to frame it. It's an interesting process, I think, in creating. And then also having trust in your publisher to be doing what they know how to do best, you know, and I think um, working with our publisher was brilliant because you, there's like a level of trust that we have with her and and her opinions and where she's coming from and her experience. So it's definitely this like deep collaboration. And I think when, you know, we often say we're the dream team because I feel like we can all just be really honest with each other and really each have our own opinions. And there's just a lot of respect between all of us. And I think that's like, it's so such a precious thing when you're, when you're creating with people is to have that trust and respect. And I think it's, Oh, you always make a better creative project when you have those two things. So I think that was, yeah, really important. And I think from watching Aaron do plants for the people and moving to, to plant clinic um, and beyond, I think, yeah, you just grow and change and develop more trust in others that you're working with, but also just develop more trust in yourself and in the, in the, in your intuition around, around your work. 
Mm. Yeah, so well said. I think we can zoom that out of just talking about this project and and it applies to creativity and creative collaboration, whether you're working on an album or whether you're working on a space or collaborating with anyone on anything really. With that, you know, what is each of your including this project but not limited to this project? Any of your creative habits or routines or you know greatest lesson on creativity we probably have very different <laughs> answers to this um, i'll let noah take that first um again i think i'm really funny about the space in which i create I, it has to be very tidy and minimal with very little distraction so I know that's probably particular to me and not Aaron, but yeah, I feel like my routine is to just really have a mindfully clean and tidy space. Um, and also not, I don't push myself. Um, I'm not like an all nighter type of person. I'm very like strict about when I switch off and what I do when I switch off. And I, because I'm obviously designing on a screen, I usually am not on screens other than when I'm designing. So I think just having a lot of boundaries around that and also creating a bit of, I create a container in a different way than Aaron, but I think we both create containers to then create in. Yeah, that's that's me. I agree in that way of like, for me, it's a lot about creating a container different to Noah's, but um, because I run a really busy practice and have a lot of commitments like mentor and you know, the other book and publicity for that. There's there's a lot of different areas that I tend to. That can be pretty overwhelming sometimes when you're trying to kind of get into a really quiet space to create. So I have to create these really like intentional breaks where I'm actually away from clinic and I'm away from anything else and my emails are off. And it's just, it becomes whether it's like a two or a four week container, I'm just can be contained in the quiet and I need to feel spacious within myself to be able to even show up for that. So, yeah, that's that's mm. sort of my – that's the way I go into a creative project. I actually make space for it in my calendar and I have to plan ahead. And that's how I wrote the plant clinic in these kind of like two- to four-week chunks where I was away from clinic or I was away from other commitments. And I just gave it my all in these immersive sort of times. And I, and I think we're separately, like individually and together, moving towards – wanting to be further away as in further away from other people. So like, you know, we started out living in a city when we moved back to Australia and then we moved up to the mountains and then we moved up North. And now the next thing I think is going to be even further away. I feel like we're kind of getting quieter and quieter and quieter. And I think that we both realize that anything we do creative from, you know, building our, building our garden to writing books, to designing websites, to, you know, everything else that we do, it really needs that space. And so I think we are just slowly but surely moving further and further into really quiet, spacious spaces. And I think that Noah's like further away from people. That's not because we don't love people. No, no. I mean, um, I think he also means like moving physically, physically into more spacious, spacious, space, spacious spaces with nature as well. Yes. Um, and nature being the the yeah the container I yeah. guess yeah us. yeah yeah okay I want to like highlight and underline a few things that you said so the through line through both of your 
ideas around creativity and process. And one that has stuck with me over time as your friend is my tendency, similarly to you, Aaron, of of doing a lot of things and, and wearing a lot of hats and bouncing between projects. It's a level of being able to focus, I think is really important. Mm. And that's something that you, you do really well, Noah, and help us, I think, do well, you know, talking things out and, and also, you know, the boundaries that the two of you have that I was able to get into as well, just spending time with you of like, we're going to focus on this now and we're going to stop now because it isn't, actually serving the project to keep going and having that rhythm. And I think that's actually really connected to nature and working cyclically and working in community and having community in all of these ways of like, I need to connect or I need to just watch a show right now. Or I remember one morning, you know, we were all going to work and, and you both were like, do you want to just go to the beach and then we'll work later? And we did. And it was amazing. And that was so foreign. To, I've told this story before, but that was so foreign to me mm-hmm. because I had a real, you know, mindset the whole time I lived in New York of you have to earn resting, you know. And I think if anything that we learn from nature, it's like we can't control anything, and so maybe resting is now, and we'll we'll work on things later. And I'm glad you brought up nature because you had this recent post that asked a question of, you know, how do you commune with nature to your audience? And I'm curious how each of you would answer that question. And something that I think is worth getting into a little bit more here too, and and worth mentioning is during the process of this book, you also embarked on the huge project of creating a massive garden and tending to it at the same time. And I don't think that those two things are that disconnected. So yeah, mm. answer the question about, about nature. And then, you know, I'm curious to to hear about the garden a little. Yeah. I mean, I think Nora and I both have prioritized connecting to nature in our lives for a long time. I think that we're both people that find so much from nature, even when we first, you know, got together, which is nearly... 18 and a half years Nearly ago. Nine, 19 years ago of, you know, always kind of, yeah, being connected to nature, even if even at these short periods of time when we lived in cities and then where we've chosen to live for the last sort of 15 years has been the different iterations of that has been so deeply immersed in naturescapes um, in places that are really wild and full of nature. So and rural, you know, and so, um, I think that it's almost like a given of how it's in our life in an everyday way of waking up, going outside, going for a walk, going to the beach. It's like multiple times a day there is a connection to nature that happens, which is so important because it also combats the work that we do on screens because I run a digital clinic as well. So I'm always on screens. We're both always on screens. Yeah. And then the garden, which I can get to, but do you want to answer how you? Well, I think because I grew up, in Michigan, as you know, <laughs> and it's so outdoor. My life was just outdoors when I was a kid. And I think I just, as a child, I just always felt so comfortable in nature, like by myself. And I think that was, you know, one of the biggest gifts my parents gave me was to be able to be very confident in nature and also just very, 
immersed all the time, like every weekend doing something. Um, I never got into hunting. I couldn't, I couldn't bear to kill anything, but my family were um, hunters and fishers and campers and boaters. And it was just, just in, I mean, you know, Katie, what I'm talking about, the Michiganders. Um, so I was just really blessed to grow up in that space. And I think it's just always been super, super duper important to me. And as, as I, as I get older, it becomes like, just not even a question of whether I need to have it in my life. So yes, as Aaron was saying, it's just, it's in our everyday. It's um, where we've chosen to live. When we lived in the Blue Mountains, it was the deep, quiet bush. And then up, up north um, in the Northern Rivers, it was the ocean and the um, rainforests and the waterfalls. And But even in a simple way, like I, we had a pecan tree in, in at the church and Aaron and I just spent a lot of time communing with that pecan tree. <laughs> like, you know, we didn't have to, we just had to walk out the, the back of the house and, and there, and there she was. And so, you know, even to where I've done meditations where I'm climbing the tree and, and, you know, communing with the tree. So I think on so many levels, we, we just find it as well, even if it's not, um, you know, again, we're not like, in the middle of, um, even if I'm not in the middle of the forest and, but if there's just one peak entry or just the birds listening to the bird calls, I think it's just so inherent in the way that I live. I can't really imagine it any other way. And I think the next level for us was the garden was creating the garden and actually having our hands in the soil and connecting with all the plants and all of the little creatures that came because of the, because of the plants yeah, and how the pecan tree shaded the garden. It was just a whole deep immersive experience to create that garden, which came out of being in lockdown. <laughs> so it was kind of almost out of necessity that we couldn't go to other nature spaces, that we kind of created our own little haven in our backyard. Mm, Australia has had really intensive lockdown period to this pandemic and yeah, we could only go a small radius. And I just kept going back and forth to the hardware store because it was an essential service. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, going to the garden store and the hardware store, and we had always had a garden in pretty much every place we'd ever lived, a veggie garden, but nothing like this. And I had this sort of vision for, like, really taking over this flat block because uh, we lived in an old church, and we we literally just moved away two weeks ago, so it's all very fresh, um, new chapter. talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> Missing that garden a little, but we, it was just a, a we lived in. Someone old, took it over. It's going to Yeah, be, it lives on. Well, which is, is also another yeah. special part of it, which we can talk to, but yeah. Yeah, but it was just like a flat block of land, our garden, which was an old churchyard. When we got there, it was incredibly barren. There was like a lemon tree, the pecan tree, and a passion fruit vine, and that was kind of all on the side of the fence. So it was just like a flat dirt, dirt. dirt, dirt sort of weed pit, um, <laughs> bindi pit, you know, like spikes. Spike, do you guys call them bindies? And yeah. They're like spike your mm -hmm. feet, like little prickles. So not super pleasant. And we were like, why not? Um, let's take it over. So we built like four and then we built yeah, we five like, and then we built seven. And then we built, I think we had like seven, 17. 17 garden beds. We just grew lots of food, lots and lots of food and medicinal plants. And we also just grew, you know, flowers to bring the bees and the birds. And it was just you know, so many snails. So many snails. <laughs> it was just a really magic experience growing something from what felt like nothing, you know, something just totally transformed that yard and grew jasmine climbing up the back of the fences. And it was a real honor to just like be on that land, you know, for those few years and witness a transformation. And I think um, 
because we were renting the church and we have not owned, well, we owned a block of land, but we haven't owned our own home and lived on land. We just have always were a little bit reserved about creating a garden like that scale. I think probably as most people who live in rentals, you either don't have permission or you're really worried about leaving it, which I always was. But honestly, like, you know, doing it in the rental and having to leave it was very, very difficult. But at the same time, it was like a little bit of a legacy we left. You know, we left it um, what I think is more beautiful and more sustainable than when we got there. And the woman who moved into the church was so deeply thankful to have it. And I think it's really going to be a healing place for her. And, you know, she was talking about, I'm going to go out and pick the peppermint and make a tea and the lemon balm. And just having that kind of um, being mm. able to pass it on to someone was incredibly special. And I feel really grateful that we were able to create that for that land and for all those creatures, but also for her and whoever lives there beyond her. Yeah, it would have been like so, so heartbreaking if that had ended because it was such a, you know, a moment in time. I mean, it truly, it, it didn't exist when I was there. And now you have 17. Like, I didn't know there was that many. I mean, it's incredible what you built. And I'm so happy that that someone's taking it over. It's really, really special. So special. And also we learned so much from it. So I think one thing that, you know, Noel was really hesitant, hesitant to always build a big garden because, you know, we, we could leave at some point, which we have. And I was, I was like, let's do it. We can learn so much from it. And we, you know, he kind of came on board with that, that perspective of let's do it as a learning experience. And so much of our experience of gardening has both been really self-taught and, and of permaculture principles have, have been um, self-taught and it was just a really great lesson. And yeah, it was totally bittersweet and heartbreaking to leave. I definitely sat in the garden and cried many tears and still feel really emotional about leaving it and just felt so deeply connected to that land and, and the garden. That's totally bittersweet, but I know once the kind of rawness and a little bit of time passes from ending this chapter, I'm just going to look back on it as a really, really great lesson and an experience. So yeah, really grateful for it. And I think it's just refined what we want to do in the future. That was just like um, small scale. a small scale compared to what we have, you know, in our heads for what we'd like to create and what we'd like to do. So I think, I think it was a really, actually a really important part of our journey to the next vision and i think um mm. leaving it was hard but it was it was necessary. necessary yeah yeah i love that this episode is brought to you by sanebox inbox zero is a thing of the past we're all so inundated with email now that it's no longer about responding to everything it's about responding only to the important things, the messages that truly matter. And that's where SaneBox comes in. Think of it as EMT for your email. As messages flow in, SaneBox does the triage for you, sifting only important emails in your inbox and directing all other distracting stuff into your SaneBox folder. So you know what messages to pay attention to now and what you can look at later. 
It also has nifty features like the sane black hole, where you can drag messages from annoying senders that you never want to hear from again, insane reminders to ping you if someone hasn't replied to your email by a certain date, Best of all, you can use SaneBox with any email client or phone anywhere you check your email. So it works with your existing setup, Gmail, Outlook, all those guys. They're for you. You don't have to change your habits by creating a new email account or downloading a new app. SaneBox just makes your existing one better. I love SaneBox. It's really, really good. I think you'll like it too. This is good for our organization and our mental health. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com slash let it out to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash let it out. Okay, for this ad break, we want you to take a break. Roll your shoulders back. (laughs) Mine are usually up by my ears. Unclench your jaw. I have a terrible habit of clenching my jaw. Take a deep breath, which we like to do on this podcast. Sometimes we need reminders to do these things and calm can help. We're partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools to improve the way you feel. You can clear your head with daily guided meditations, improve your focus with Calm's curated music tracks, and drift off into sleep with Calm's imaginative sleep stories. Those are my favorite. And if you go to calm.com slash let it out, you'll get a limited time 40% off Calm's premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming and new content added every single week. Over 100 million people are using the Calm app around the world. So for our listeners to this show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion, 40% off of a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash let it out. Go to calm.com slash let it out for 40% off of unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash let it out. I really love this app. I meditate every single day and I really like using guided meditations and I've really enjoyed their sleep stories. They're so cool. They're these really interesting, cool people reading bedtime stories to you and I love to turn them on when I'm falling asleep. So check it out today. Let me know what you think. What are you learning and processing lately? You know, you're in this amidst of a big transition of in several ways you know this this book came out so a big project is releasing you you know very recently left the church and there's a lot of change happening in your life so i'm curious what each of you have been learning and leaning on what's been helpful and what you've been processing and sitting with in the last day or week i think moving away from where we were living affected Aaron and I in very different ways, which is understandable. For me, I am one to just kind of look forward so I can go, I can acknowledge and process the past, but I tend to just kind of, you know, start moving forward to the next thing. And I like, I like change a lot. 
and I like adventure a lot. So I'm just kind of processing that side of myself because we're really anchored in that place and really, really grounded. I'm, and I tend to be a quite a grounded person in general, but this was like next level grounding in, particularly to the nature side of it. So I've done a lot of work on understanding how to be a little bit nomadic, but also feel very grounded. So even, you know, meditation and some energetic healing sessions around how to, um, yeah, remain a very grounded person, but also be able to be really fluid and and in movement phase. So we're in a bit of a liminal space between um, the past and the next thing. And I'm just working on, yeah, how to be in that kind of nomadic place um, and feel really steady and really creative and have all of, and all the things that I get from being grounded and including being able to be creative and how it's kind of all inside me and not about the place I'm at or the, or the, the nature that I'm in, but it's just kind of, you know, all within me. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. I think that the last sentiment of, you know, learning that all of these things are within Noah within him himself. I also feel that way. Um, you know, I think I merged a lot with that home and the garden and the region. <laughs> in it merged in a sense of I just I actually found like a real deep rhythm and beat in that place, which was really beautiful because I think where we were living prior, I never really found that sense of uh, community that felt like it quite fit me or. Yeah, there just wasn't the, it wasn't quite right for me where we used to live. So living in this, in the region, like around Byron and the the Northern Rivers, there's such a beautiful community of people and such a deep sense of place there. I found it very healing to be there in the last few years. And I think it really healed my relationship with Australia in many ways. I always felt sort of a bit estranged from being an Australian, even though I was born here. Something about being up there gave me a sense of belonging. That was really beautiful. So that's been hard to leave, uh, even though it was totally our choice and we're very excited for what's ahead. I feel like I'm just processing the grief of letting go of something I love dearly, yet knowing that it was time to go and then being excited for what's ahead. It's a strange, like, it's like two strange polarities to hold. It's like holding two truths at the same time, you know? It's yeah. like balancing yeah. those feelings is is I think it's I mean it's it's just a big growth cycle I think for us and I think we always talk about moving from and I think we might have talked to you about this too is moving from a place of stability and happiness and connectedness like you're actually choosing to move forward from those things instead of changing from trauma or pain or drama and mm -hmm. I think trying to be comfortable changing when nothing seemingly is wrong, it's really hard to do. But I think the more that you do that and the more that you can kind of step into those scary spaces, the growth that you can find in, in doing that is is pretty massive. And it gets quite, it's just like refining. It's like this, this level of refining your path and the steps that you take. So yeah, I feel like that's where we're both at. It's just how that we're, with the angles in which we're coming at that are slightly different. Yeah. Yeah. I think that sentiment of holding two things at the same time is something that 
feeling two things at the same time is something that comes up a lot in our conversations because it's connected to everything, right? And we kind of talk about everything. Yeah. So it's something that, you know, I think we're always saying to each other of like, I'm really excited about this and I'm feeling a lot of anxiety. This is, you know, mm-hmm. it's good. And, you know, and and being able to 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 feel that is, you know, it's it's intense. And I think we were we were talking about this change. And as someone who's lived in a lot of places and had a lot of changes in my life that I either have been anticipating or haven't anticipated. And I think on the outside, you know, people can get caught to identities or to, mm-hmm. I felt that way about being in New York. I think similarly to what you were saying about the region for you, Aaron, because I so wanted to be there and it was so exciting to me. And it, it was, it did feel part of my identity that I just sort of accidentally left. And I think similarly to what you were saying about, the region for you like you found it was really good and there was so much good to it and and also leaving is correct at the same mm. time and yeah i think it's really noble because i think a lot of people don't have the awareness or the curiosity to to be able to do that and even if they do want to so i think it's exciting and i'm excited for what's next and i'm really happy for you too and i think this is going to be a really big learning opportunity for you in in so many ways and it already is totally and i think you you know the, the the feeling of like and the thought that i've been you know really circling lately is like well who am i without my garden and my house and it's like well i mean i know who i am but it's like that question has been kind of circling of like that so much of that gave me this experience to move, to, to live through it, to be with it and to create through it in ways. And even like what I would share on social media would be these like snippets of my life up there. And I don't know. I just feel like you're right. Like, I'm just curious to know what's next and what I want. I want a different version. And I think even though we loved it so much up there, there were things we were struggling with, with how the region is changing and what's happening up there with, um, Oh, it's just, just a whole nother thing, but, you know, just the kind of like how something gets so commodified and mm-hmm. yeah, the cost of living and the, the, the like the way, the type of like what's happening. I don't know how to even explain what's yeah, happening. It's there. just it's like just, watching a place change before your eyes. Yeah. And I mean, people experience that in lots, you know, of, places. lots of places and neighborhoods and cities and, you know, it's, it's really quite confronting and we are privileged to be able to move out of that place. Um, and onto other things, but it's also being really mindful of what's not serving you, even though there's so much that is serving you, there's these things that aren't serving you and acknowledging and kind of pushing against them and seeing what that brings up in you. And that's just kind of, it's a very hard thing to do, but again, it just, you just keep processing and refining. Mm. Um, and, you know, we have so many friends like you and, and so many friends that, allow us to process with them and are just really present. And I think we've also really found out in this process that we need individually and, and um, together just really need a lot of support, Mm -hmm. which means friends and also means like different um, having different practitioners, you know, you know, we have amazing practitioners that we see that help us process on all different levels, you know, mentally, spiritually, physically. 
And just really giving yourself space and time to process, I think is really important. And I think that so much of what we've been processing is that we need more space. (laughs) The word (laughs) space is coming up, but that's kind of why we actually moved as well. We need more space. And what one thing that with what's happening with the region is just that there's a lot of energy coming at it and a lot of people moving up there and seeking that life and idealizing the life up there. And I get it. It's so beautiful up there, but a part of me just really was repelled by that and, and needs a quieter immersion in a place where maybe there's not so much energy coming out or what I perceive as that coming towards me in some way. I don't know. It's kind of complicated, but a lot of different things spurred us to make a change. And truly, I just feel so like I look so fondly on that chapter, having written both the books and created both the books there. It's, it's, it was really major for us, but I think everything we do is a lesson and a refinement, you know, to bring us to the next place of being. And now that's just living, right? (laughs) Yeah. So well said. I, I kind of started daydreaming about what to call this episode. Like I, I try to think about the titles and I was like, still processing with Aaron and Noah or learning as we go or whatever. And then it just became clear what it needs to be. And I I will tell you now. And I, it's funny because there's this poet who I had on the podcast in maybe 2014. Her name's Nancy Levin. And she has this line that I always remember. And, and she was talking about it in the context of her divorce, but she, the line is the space between no longer and not yet. Mm. And you, the title for this episode will be the space between the space. And (laughs) (laughs) because space is ever, yeah, space is so important to you. And I guess we should bring everyone in on the joke. It's the name of our text chain. And also part of this meditation that we all did lying down in in the church and I was the last person standing because these two got bit with mosquitoes and <laughs> left me and I thought I was alone in the church. But anyway, I you are in the space between the space and it's exciting to see what comes next and and also scary. And but just to your point, Aaron, about you know, who are you without the church? We we talked about this and the other space between the space, but it it's you, you know, I think it's yeah. it's what Noah, you were saying about you being the art director of the book, like, sure, there's this, you know, beauty and richness of what's around you physically, but also it's your eyes. You know, I think when when I think about body image and something that I have talked about and think about a lot of like feeling uncomfortable in my own self space, right? Like in the space I inhabit, like as a part of nature. I mm. the thing that helps me is to think of myself as a pair of eyes, you know, of like the the beauty that I see outside of myself helps me when I don't want to be in here, you know, when I feel uncomfortable yeah. here. And so that's kind of where you are of like the space around you doesn't matter so much about the space that you see of art directing your own existence. Yeah. And I think yeah. I was listening to the podcast you sent us um with Elizabeth Gilbert and Pico Iyer. And Mm -hmm. she was talking about the church that she lives in and that she had to spend so much time there because she's such a traveler. And she realized by going on her walks and really paying attention that it was just as beautiful as anywhere else she's ever been, you know? And I think that kind of speaks to that. And I kind of was saying that to Aaron and myself as we were leaving this chapter, that 
and I think I said it to you on the text thre- thread that you know it's your it's your gaze that's creating the beauty, mm-hmm. right? The beauty is always there, but it's through which you are processing and your lens of perception that gives it that level of beauty that fills you up. So I think that's where we're trying to stay. You know, it's not always easy, particularly when you're in that space between the space. But yeah, just really trying to remind yourself that where you're at is just as beautiful as anywhere else you can be, depending on your perception of it. Yeah, exactly. And I I think that's a, I loved that episode. And I loved when you said that too. I, I, I agree. And I think it's sort of a opposite way of saying that other quote that's been said so much. It's like a cliche, but it's true. Wherever you go, there you are. Mm. Yeah. Totally. Traveling the world. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm, as I said on the last podcast, I'm not on social media. So I, I don't consume a lot of other people's lives. And honestly, that's probably the biggest gift for me not being on social media is I don't find that I'm, you know, I'm not no longer engaging in taking myself out of where I'm at into idealizing where someone else is at. And I think that, not that everyone does that, but I definitely was doing that. You know, I'm like, why am I not in Hawaii? Why don't I live in a cabin in the woods? Why don't I, you know? And it, it wasn't even like a super conscious thing I was doing. It's just only when I started realizing the emotional roller coaster I was on about idealizing where I could be um, that I decided to just cut it off. And by cutting it off, I think it's just made me so much more present in that, um, in doing that for myself in my life and try and seeing what I'm seeing and processing that and not comparing it to what I could be doing, you know? And, and I find that there's so much inspiration and, and so much, um, it's very aspirational, you know, to, to look at these things. And sometimes it can be, it can move you in the right direction, but I just found that for me, it wasn't moving me in in any positive direction. So I think I'm just trying to hone that and kind of just get deeper and deeper into that as I move forward. Yeah. I really admire that about you. And we've talked at length about social media on this podcast and with the two of you and just the exposure to other people's joy at all times. Like our phones are portals, as my friend Crystal says. And that's something that you can tap into very intentionally and be like, okay, I'm going into this portal. I don't know what I'm going to see. It might like knock me down or it might bring me up. I'm not sure. Or not being on social media and then coming back to it. It's it's interesting, you know, something that you do, Aaron, is you do something called lately and then you like post all your stories at once and then you're on and you're off. And and when I came to to visit the two of you, I don't know if you even remember this, but I was like, I'm gonna not be on social media this week and I'm just gonna be here. And that was really important. And and it's something that I've started doing more as well of not posting anything and then posting it all at once. And, and then there's a there's a bit of that that's like, oh, I feel like I need to do something now. But just not having to look at it and go into that portal for days of, you know, or even for hours to to not be knocked off because mm-hmm. you never know what you're going to get. And it, it really can knock you out of your own autonomy and feelings. For sure. And I think just noticing how much energy you're giving to it and how it can hold you captive, you know, it's really interesting. It's a, it's an interesting space. You know, I think some of the, some wonderful things come from that space. And some of my most dear friends, you know, I met 
through Instagram and then, you know, brought it into a real, you know, um, real life connection like with you and with Ashley Neese, who you've had on the podcast, who I just adore. And, you know, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I find it problematic for sure, you know, trying to always monitor my relationship with it. But at the same time, be grateful for the medium because it's an amazing mm-hmm. way to share. And I am so grateful for the community and the way that people have responded to the books and my work. And it's just, it's incredible, but it's like, yeah, the the light, the light and the shadow of it all and balancing that. I just feel like it's, it's like a relationship, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you have to tend to it and you have to tend to your connection to it and how is it serving you and when is it not serving you? And, and I think it's, it can, again, it's just the gaze. It's either, it's either serving you or it's not serving you and just really always checking in with that relationship. Um, I think is really important. Just watching Aaron who, obviously has a deep connection with her community. I think watching how like so much inspiration that she gives to people and that she also gets from other people. So yeah, I'm definitely not against it. It's just not a relationship that I'm um, in, in at the moment. Yeah. It's to the point that we keep making holding two things at once. I mean, social media is a tremendous example of that. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay, well, I want to keep talking to you forever, but I'm just watching the time and I had about a million more things I wanted to ask you, but that's okay because you'll be back. But let's do a couple of these as um, rapid fire. Do you have another minute? Yeah. Yes, go. Okay. Greatest lesson on friendship? Oh, I'm going to let Noah go. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to go back to something I said on Space Between the Space. Good. It's- that's what I was hoping. This is a, this is a penny <laughs> in your jukebox. <laughs> But um, I think I was talking about the concept of keeping yourself at the center of your relationships, of your friendships. So I think sometimes we can feel like we're, particularly when we're like in groups of friends or there's a few friends or things are getting a bit rocky between people. It's kind of putting yourself at the center of your relationships and friendships so that you're never feeling like pushed out or you're never feeling, you're always checking in with how you feel about what's going on. I think that's just been really important for me, um, if that makes sense. Yes, I would like to briefly react to that. This lesson, I think Noah could write a advice book. It could be like <laughs> like Tuesdays with Maury, but just like advice to <laughs> his friend Katie. Because over the last year and a half, I have come with you know highs and lows and everything in between, and gotten just such like wise wisdom from both of you. But this particular piece of advice on friendship is something that really hit me hard. And as someone who can feel like I'm floating and I'm a little bit on the outside and a lot of that's my stuff, but you know, some is situational and that particular piece of wisdom took me a minute to take in, but has been really useful and something I'm constantly returning to. I'm very glad that it was helpful for you. <laughs> it is. Aaron, do you want to add anything to friendship? I mean, I feel like that was pretty good. <laughs> I think you can skip this one. No, I mean, I think friendship, I think for me, as it evolves, uh, you know, as I'm nearly 40 now, it's so much to do with like reciprocity and on who can also hold space for me as I hold space for them. I feel like that's something I've learned again and again, sometimes really tough lessons, but just to... I really also want to have friendships that feel equal 
So that's really what I'm seeking in my life at this point as well and have such beautiful friendships because I feel like I raised the bar. Yeah. What's a great investment that you've made or something that has proved to be, you know, something you're happy that you invested your time or money or a relationship? What comes to mind? My relationship with Aaron is probably probably my biggest investment that I've ever made for 19 years nearly. So yeah, I think just investing wholeheartedly in in our relationship and also taking it to the next level and starting to work together and starting to create together and building gardens together and having so many rescue dogs together Mm -hmm. and um, going on these journeys together. It's, you know, like relationships, like, like we have our pretty special and pretty rare, I think, but it also takes a lot of investment. It takes a lot of compromise and not in the negative sense of the word, but just constantly showing up for it and constantly um, pushing against the hard things and, you know, rejoicing in the joyful things. Um, So yeah, that's mine. Beat that, Aaron. I can't beat that. (laughs) (laughs) My relationship with Noah. (laughs) I can't beat that. Um, That was beautiful, babe. I don't know. I mean, you know, there's, there's so many things I feel like have been so incredible to invest in, but Ultimately, a lot of it does come down to my relationship with Noah, honestly, because, you know, I think I've changed profoundly over these years and evolved with him. And I think that investing in being with with him and, and committing to our life together, and that means all iterations of it. So one of the biggest things has been able to be able to work creatively together and to really invest in our life as it is now and as we have over the last few years to stop working for anyone else, um, you know, to bring it back to our projects, to bring our projects to life and to walk by each other's side in this way that feels really true and correct of partnership and relationships and what that relationship with each other and what that means to us. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of Mumford and Sons, but there is that <laughs> line that really always sticks out where it's where what is it? You invest your love, you invest your life. In these bodies we will live, in these bodies we will die. The way you invest your love, you invest your life. And I think that's just like such a powerful, I don't think it's used enough. I think that should be like. We should make a t-shirt. We should make a t-shirt. Mm. But I think it's like a really beautiful like succinct way to like sum up what I'm saying. It's like where, where you put your love is where, where essentially you're living your life. And I think, yeah, our relationship, um, my dogs, um, our creative projects, our garden. Yeah. I I think wherever I put that feels like it reaps all the rewards that I could ever, you know, dream of. Yeah. That's really well said. I, I wrote something recently about what we prioritize, right? Like what we prioritize is what we worship and what we worship grows. You know, I think it's, it's, it goes to, you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I think it speaks to this point. Yeah, for sure. When you said Munford and Sons, it made me think of a real moment in time when we were singing Teen and Sarah to the point where we were like, we need to stop. (laughs) Like you couldn't even say like, no one could even like 
hum the tune utter those words yeah. <laughs> and they get so so stuck in your brain and i don't even know how we got onto taken and sarah i don't know but it was um i was telling you i was like on a wormhole watching Sarah <laughs> i think it was we were watching the l word oh and yes there was a really cute scene where one sings to the other and that was karaoke song. and um it just from then like it was it was mentally on, my head. Yeah. all on for quite a while <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I we have a game to play, but first, is there a favorite failure that that comes to mind of either of you that you learned from? Do you want to answer that, babe? I don't know if I use failure very much, um, but I think we were going to build a house once, and we ended up at the end of designing that house to not have at all the house that we wanted <laughs> and through a series of, it wasn't one decision. It was a series multiple. of multiple small decisions that ended up um, being all incorrect and then leading to this really, you know, I don't know, very disappointing place. And I, I we put so much energy into it. I and mean, money. And was, money, yeah. years, years and of, of, and so much money and just it felt like a really big disappointment um, and probably failure and not being able to speak our truth and make and stand in our power for what we wanted. Um, so that's probably the biggest failure, but honestly, that is the, that is the quote unquote failure that led us to moving up North. And I think that was the best decision we ever made. <laughs> so, so really a, a failure, a gift wrapped, you know, in failure. In failure. Um, and also, for I honestly think that's the same for me. I mean, there's small things that I could reference, but that was so huge for us. It was like we were trying to fit, you know, a circle into a square. Yes. It, was, it w wasn't the right thing for us, but we had this whole story about what this house was going to be and what it was going to hold for us and how we were going to live our lives. And once we actually realized, like, hey, it's not working, we just got to put that down and let it go, everything flowed. Yeah. And it's been nothing but abundance and, and things that do fit us yeah. um, since letting it go. So not really a failure, right? <laughs> no. And I'm so happy it all led you to what it led you to and brought us here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, I love you so much. Um, we were, we're going to end um, playing a game, but I first just want to check in on, maybe we could just all go around and share our favorite fruit. Oh, yeah. And I'll just share, we've probably, oh, I think we talked about persimmons like at length in a different episode, but we say that it's the most uh, 70s fruit, but let's yeah. just all go around. I feel like I know, well, I'll let you both share your favorite fruit. My favorite fruit is... I'm going to have to say mango. Oh, no. Why did you have to steal my favorite fruit? I stole their favorite fruit. Um, I never <laughs> yeah, had Yeah, that surprises me. I never had mango before moving to Australia at all. And it really opened up my world, the mango. Um, and we eat them so much, and they make the best smoothies. And... There's all different types, different flavors. Yeah. I mean, it is the best fruit. Like, they're yeah. so good. They're yeah. so good. And they're like a meal. Yeah. You know? You get, like, meal. the massive ones here. Um, and it, over summer, like, right now, it's it's prime mango season. 
And we have like dried mango and mango smoothies and mango everything. Definitely mango is my favorite fruit. It's always been my favorite fruit. Yeah. My right. favorite fruit as a kid was strawberries. I was obsessed with strawberries. Mm. Um, but I've yeah moved on to the mango. But maybe if I move back to the States ever, it will Yeah, be it's not going to be mango probably. It's not going to be mango. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm fluid. What about yours? Well... I mean, we don't have time to get into this. As you know, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. It's a fruit connoisseur. It's a whole episode. But I love, I mean, I love persimmon so much. Noah drew me a persimmon rendering and (laughs) I do love mango. I have a very fond memory of us crouched over the counter, probably in my little woman nightgown. We had gotten that free mango that wasn't that good, but we were freezing it. And I I kept being like, there's not even meat on this. (laughs) Like. (laughs) <laughs> it was like it was crab or something. It was like a dry mango. It was free and it was on the side. It was like um, from a, a neighbor's yeah tree. And they were just, I had a box out the front of their house. And, and they, it was cute. They wrote really good for smoothies. So obviously they knew they were not great eating mangoes. Yeah. But I was like, let's just chop them up and freeze them. You're like, no, we can eat them. But you really, you really tried, you, you know. But. Uh, oh, oh, real quick before we play the game. I have something for you. Okay. I figured out the most 90s fruit. Would you both like to guess? The most, what was that, 90s fruit? Is that yeah. what you said? Okay. A lychee. Oh, no, why? Why? Where do you get, where's your logic know, there? What, that, was my, that was my initial reaction. <laughs> so I don't know why. I feel like lychees, like, is that when things started to have lychee in them? Maybe. Oh, maybe. Like it would be like. Oh, you can get a lychee like bubble tea or something, maybe. I feel like that was later than the 90s. That was maybe like, it was early yeah. 2000s. Yeah. Is it like because of the color of the fruit or is it just like the look of it? Uh, it's a whole feeling. It's similar to the persimmon. <laughs> oh. Okay. I don't know if I'm going to get this. What's the first one that comes to your mind? I thought you both would get it immediately. Uh, it's I something like, we've. Yeah. Should I give you a clue? Yeah. It's something we've discussed at length, like recently. I don't know. Oh, the melon? Yeah. Yes, the melon. Doesn't that feel 90s to you? Like cheese and melon and cannabis. Totally, totally. Yeah, totally. And just the way it looks feels like a 90s, like kitchen, like the cutler, all of it. I went more to like Noah said lychee and then I went to like exotic fruits. Like yeah. I was like, you know, going to like, I can't even remember the names of one then like spiky and I don't even know where my mind we, we went in the whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the lychee threw you off, but bring, yeah. reel it in because we have another game to play and I need okay. you, I need you alert because, okay, who here is going to explain this game? We played it once the last time. I believe this comes from your friend Dom. It does. <laughs> yeah, he's a legend at it. You can go explain it. So it's called the celebrity game. And it means that someone like myself will think of someone when you give me a question. So if you say, what celebrity would you marry opposed to what celebrity would you want to have a one night stand with opposed to different questions. I come up with the answer in my head and then it becomes like 20 questions kind of where you just keep asking me questions. Yes or no to refine, to get to the point where you guess my celebrity. Okay. And we played this many a time when we were together and 
I would like to play it now. And I chose the prompt, which is celebrity you'd not only want to go on a road trip with, but celebrity you'd most want to go on like a camping in a camper van type road trip where you're, you know, even even more time with and you need someone who's good at that sort of thing. And this is someone who we all um, would want to spend time with, right? Or is it just you, No. I think it's just going to be no. <laughs> okay. Never mind. How can we guess if we all, yeah. who's going to ask the question? <laughs> okay. This is for no. This is for no. Okay. Okay. Shall I kick it off? But I'm assuming we'll like them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I ahead. think we'll like them. Hold on. Let me think. Let Have me you got think. it, Noah? I think. Um, um, I don't know why this person comes to my head, but I'm going to go with it. Okay. It's good to trust the, for, for those wanting to play this game, it's good to just trust. Just like trust. He, just like trust he just the first did. instinct. Yeah. Um, Noah, is this celebrity a movie star? No. Is this celebrity a musician? No. Is this celebrity a TV star? No. Do they live in America? Yes, currently, I believe. Is this celebrity an author? Yes. Okay. I asked that because Elizabeth Gilbert. Yes. <laughs> she got it. Yeah. <laughs> it's because I brought her up earlier. <laughs> no, it's because I know you so well. That's a fantastic answer. And I think both Aaron and I would agree. <laughs> we would be happy to have you if you're listening, Liz Gilbert, come with us on our um, road trip across the country. Yes, she wrote Eat Pray Love. That's not the reason. <laughs> the reason is I feel like she's seems like a really lovely woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She seems very like a good conversationalist, which is what you want on a road trip. Mm-hmm. I think she'd be an amazing storyteller. She has a lot of wisdom. I think you'd just sit around the campfire and you'd be able to, you know, tap into that. She does seem like she would be handy as well. Like mm-hmm. she wouldn't be um, precious. precious. Like yeah. she'd get in there if like we got a flat tire or something. <laughs> um it's really bizarre that you guessed that, though. I was like, "This is this is going to take this is going to be like twenty minutes," but you just Mm-mm. went straight there. Wow. Yeah, I knew. I think I'm pretty like. I think I'm kind of good at this game. <laughs> I think you're very good at this game. But I'm also glad you agree that you both agree that she would be an amazing. So for you forgot a key detail, Noah, about her as a great asset to the trip. Eating yes. like she'd be great for like ah, wanting to yeah. seek out good, you know, totally yeah, great I book think. recommendations. I mean, totally. yeah, if this is an extended road trip, meditate, 100%. she'd meditate, meditate with us 100%. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um, if we if I ever go on a road trip, I hope I run into her. Same, for well, sure. let's like. Excuse me, Elizabeth, if you're listening, please join us. We're very lovely people and would love to spend time with you. <laughs> Let's add her to the space between the space. Although we have a whole like we have a whole um, vetting process we've discussed on um, adding people yeah. to that, which we don't know. <laughs> we're not sure. Yeah. It depends. Very safe, right? <laughs> yeah. We were talking about if I was to ever date someone, like would they be included in the thread? And it was a, it was a real. I think we all agreed. No, no, we have to start a new one. Yeah, we have to start a new one. Yeah, I love you both so so much. I'm so happy we did this, (laughs) and I'm so grateful for you. And congrats on the new book and all of the newness. Period. And I'm excited to have you back on the show many many times. Thank you, thank you for too. having us. We love you. Let's take a deep breath together. Inhale. Let it out. 
Love you both so much. I'm sorry I kept you so long. No, it's all good. Honestly, it's so lovely to talk to you. That was my episode with Erin and Noah. Get yourself a hard copy of their book, The Plant Clinic, and Plants for the People. I think they would both make really special gifts as well. And maybe you could also give someone some herbs and they could start with herbalism. And it would be a really cool new practice for people to bond over. Anyway, follow Erin on Instagram. Noah's and on Instagram, which is so cool. And let us know you're listening all the way to the end. I will give you the emoji of the week in a moment. But first, if you're not on the Let It Out letter list, join. You can get a short email from me, sometimes along, and the show notes for these episodes sent right to your inbox about every week or every two weeks. If you want to hear from me, the link to sign up is there. And Let It Out, this podcast that you're listening to has a Instagram. It's let it out with three T's if you want to follow along there. I'm at Katie Dalebout, my name, and Erin is is her name as well. We have a couple workshops coming up, journaling workshops. We have one called Reframe Your Resolution. So if you want to join that, the link's in the show notes to find out more. I hope you're having a lovely, cozy, nourishing, grounding holiday season and rounding out the year in a way that feels really good to you, whatever you're doing. Let me know. Let me know where you're listening to this. If you want to send a screenshot or post a screenshot, tag Let It Out, tag me, tag Erin. We'll reshare it. We would love to hear how you're doing, where you're listening. Are you folding laundry? Are you driving? Are you walking? Let us know. We would love to hear from you. And let us know if you have any questions. Also, the final episode of Spiraling, the second podcast that I co-host with my friend Serena Wolf about mental health is over for the season. We just did our year in review episode. So that is out as well this week. I will talk to you really soon. If you have any questions about Let It Out kits, our workshops, let me know. And the emoji for this week's episode is whatever your favorite fruit is. Maybe it's an apple, maybe it's a pear. I would say it's the most 90s fruit, the melon. I think there is a melon emoji. So if you don't wanna, if you know, it feels too vulnerable to share your favorite fruit, feel free to just share the most 90s fruit, which, as you know, is the melon. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week with a fresh new episode. Next week, actually, it's Jules, my friend who owns Good Move. She was on in 2020. She was the last episode I recorded, actually, in New York, in Brooklyn, before I left on my trip that never ended, and she happened to be in L.A., so we recorded a fresh episode. There's been so much change in her life and collectively, and it's a really good one, so tune in for that next week. I will talk to you then. Love you. Bye. Bye.